Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Irina. And this is our review of Wonder Woman 1984, starring Gal Gadot, Kristen Wiig, Pedro Pascal, and Chris Pine. Directed by Patty Jenkins, released in 2020 simultaneously in theaters and through HBO's online streaming platform. Hello, bonus episode to end 2020. It's Monday, and you're going, where's my New Year's evil you've been promising me with Tis the Podcast for weeks and weeks, Jay? It's coming later this week, but... You know, we kind of skipped a week here around Christmas because we dropped all those paranormal activity movies earlier in December. And since this one came out on Christmas Day and it's such a unique release schedule and because Irina is often the one to come up with, hey, we should do this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we decided, you know what? Hey, why not throw a you know a bonus app out there for the fans and to talk about a movie that's very much the thing people are talking about right now because it is the newest thing that has appeared on the release schedule right now. <laughs> well, in fairness, we do want to mention that I can very rarely remember any movie one day after I've watched it so um we had to jump on this one when i said hey let's record this because we knew i'd forget the entire thing but we knew i had a couple of things to say about it true there is a lot to say about this one and there's certainly a lot that goes on in it we'll get to it but first off just backgrounds on the first wonder woman movie from 2017 or any of the dc universe and gal gadot's appearances throughout the batman superman movies and justice league and all that stuff Oh, uh, we talking about backgrounds for when we saw it. <laughs> um, I do have to say her first appearance, I was kind of a, I didn't like the way she was introduced into the DC universe. Um, I thought it was almost a throwaway. It wasn't like some secret here she comes for me. It was just like, oh, and here's Wonder Woman, big deal. Um, that being said, um, I'm a Wonder Woman cosplayer, which is fun. Um, so I appreciate her. And I think that, you know, she's a, she's a strong character and when they finally did release her movie, I was psyched. I loved the way everything was done in it. I loved the format. I loved the characters. I loved the story. Um, I, I think I saw it in the theaters, which, you know, that leads me to, you know, kind of where where we're going with uh, the, the new way of movies being released here. You know, I saw this in my living room. I saw Wonder Woman 84 in my, my living room. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, I saw it in my living room as well. When the first Wonder Woman appearance came in, I think I had been spoiled that that was going to happen in Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. And I, I thought, like you, it was kind of a, well, they wedged that in there. Uh, I guess they're setting her up for her own thing, you know, yada, yada. Having now, like, I own the director's cut of that, which is it's still about 30 minutes too long. But her appearance makes a lot more sense in it, in that version of it. Um, and I... I'm one of the few people I know who didn't absolutely just hate Justice League. I thought it was fine. It wasn't great, but it was okay. And I thought she was fun in it. But I loved that first Wonder Woman movie. Uh, saw that in theaters. Have seen it at home many times. Uh, it's it's a big fun in, in our home. And my wife, who's not a big superhero movie fan, that's not really her thing, absolutely loved it and thought it was great. And you know, as followers, Gal Gadot goes... I've been watching her since the Fast and Furious franchise when she popped up in, I think, the fifth one. Uh, there's so many, it's hard to remember anymore. But <laughs> she, she was around for two or three of those. And I thought she was fun in that. And I, I when they cast her as Wonder Woman, I said, I get it. You know, this tall, kind of exotic beauty. You know, and she is you know, from, from Israel. And she's uh, you know, she served in the military. And she's got, I mean, she's got all the bona fides to make it work. And inside of just being a pretty face, she is a pretty good actress, too. And I thought would bring something to that, which was fun. I don't remember the Wonder Woman TV show. I think it was on in syndication when I was growing up. And I mean, I know I've seen it and I know who Linda Carter is and all that, but it wasn't what I knew Wonder Woman as. I knew Wonder Woman from like the Justice League and Friends cartoons and kind of the ridiculousness that the, the character is on that. So I didn't have like this great affinity for it, but I also just didn't hate it either. I thought, well, this could be fun. And I, you know, Patty Jenkins hit it totally out of the park with that last movie. So they said, hey, we're bringing her back for the second one. I said, okay, cool. I'm down. And I, I was excited for this to come out in whatever way we could get it. And it is certainly another one of the great tests of Hollywood right now is can you put these tentpole franchises out in two formats 
and they still make the money because it, it is about the money. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it really is. One of the things that I love about um, Gal Gadot's performance in this character is she brings such an innocence mm. to Wonder Woman, who who is this strong character who really um, embodies striving for the peace and love aspect of things that I don't think we get from other DC characters. I'm going to go back to, you know, her introduction in um, Batman versus Superman. I'm, I mean... It, it was like when Marvel threw in Captain Marvel and we were supposed to go, okay, what the hell are we going to do with this? Um, it, it's these very strong characters that are introduced with throwaways that are supposed to be teasers, which I don't think is fair to either of them. But the Wonder Woman franchise was my first introduction to um, Gal Gadot. And um, seeing her in that original Wonder Woman video, or pardon me, movie, it, it was... She, she embodied everything about that character, the curiosity, the innocence, the naivete. It, it was just perfect for me and what I would imagine a Wonder Woman to be. Yeah, so that, that first Wonder Woman movie is very much a fish out of water story because she's from this exotic culture, very sheltered in a different time, really, who's mm -hmm. thrust into at the, in that setting, World War One, and all of the political upheaval that was and the change. And, and I personally gave that movie an extra star for that setting because I have said many times on other film strip episodes that World War II has been such a cinematic uh, playground for decades for Hollywood. I almost feel like World War One gets forgotten in some well, things. A, and there's, there's some a, good movies to be made out of that. So to set it in that time gave it a, a perspective that you didn't walk in just automatically knowing like all the big hallmarks of it. And well, I that was cool. You know, what's interesting about World War II, as much as um, some generations will look at, as, at it as a sad time period, it is a very romanticized part of history. Um, there is something absolutely wonderful about and not wonderful but um there 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 are stories to be told about lovers being torn apart husbands and wives families and everything and i think um that's why that time period is, is just so important for when diana is brought in because then she is seeing the world absolutely torn apart yeah, and the settings for what will become. And I, I say all of that is preamble into the in all the prelude up to this. I really didn't know a lot about what this movie was going to be about other than it was going to be set in 1984. They were somehow going to bring Chris Pine back into this, who, spoiler alert, his character dies in self-sacrifice at the end of the first movie. And I, I was curious what that would look like, how you could do all of that, and if this movie would give into the trope of we're going to do something in the 80s and we're going to shove all the 80s stuff we possibly can in your face and just all that iconography. And I, so I didn't know much of what this movie was going to be about um, other than the one thing Gal Gadot had said in interviews that I thought was cool was that, well, in the first movie, if Diana is naive and inexperienced in the modern world and she's the fish out of water, in this movie, she's no longer that. She's kind of world weary. And she's been around and she's a little, you know, isolated and she's experienced. And that's a different character to play. And something you told me that I thought was so fascinating when you you had already seen this before I did was that you don't feel like you got to go back and watch that first movie. This one really, it, even though it's called a sequel, it's really just the next adventure of Wonder Woman. It doesn't have to rely on everything from the previous one. And while I think the, the Steve character is the one piece you probably need to at least be aware of, you're absolutely right. I didn't feel like I missed anything by not rewatching Wonder Woman before watching Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah, I mean, the beauty of it is that she meets new people and basically retells the story. So it is just another chapter. Um, so for me, this movie, I, I had some expectation and here's why. Um, it was filmed in, near me. It was filmed. There was the, the mall scene in this. Spoiler alert. They're in a mall. Um, it was filmed at uh, basically an abandoned mall here in Virginia. And I submitted to be an extra for this show. I didn't get selected or for this movie. Pardon me. I didn't get selected, but I totally knew it was happening. It was a couple of years ago. I said, 
admitted everything, my headshot and everything. And all I can say is maybe I just look too much like Gal Gadot to have been an extra in the movie. But, you know, I kind of had some idea of where some of the filming was going to be. So I knew some of the background. But and as I said to you, it really it, it was such a standalone. Like I watched it and I felt like it was they were two separate movies that kind of were the same thing. Like they could have chosen somebody else to play Diana in this movie. And we still would have gotten the story across without any gaps. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a smart move on the DC Warner brothers movie parts is to, instead of being such a interconnected cinematic universe like Marvel has is it's going to be one where they all sort of exist in the same area, but you don't have to watch movie to movie to movie to, for these things to exist on their own and to have their own arcs and stories. And part of that is because all the other times we've seen Diana minus the, the first Wonder Woman movie have been, you know, today, present day or whatever. And we're telling her story in flashbacks, which I think is kind mm -hmm. of a neat idea. You know, she lives. I mean, obviously she's going to leave. You can't destroy her. But how do you tell her arc and where we see her in Batman versus Superman? and Justice League and all those things. How do you get her to that point? What are the things she's experienced to get there? That was a cool idea. And, you know, right now we are in a heyday of romanticizing the 1980s. You talk about romanticizing time periods. I mean, I call it the Stranger Things effect. Um, <laughs> everything has to be about that time. And, you know, as a kid who grew up during that time, no complaints. I'm down if it's done right. And that we can get into that as we get into the movie here. But I do think that the premise and the idea and the setup for this are cool from the outset. And I, I was game again. I was game to go back and, and see this and see where they could take this character. It's been the most successful thing the DC universe has done. And it's a good launching point for where they're going to go next. Because, you know, we've got in 2021, the Zack Snyder four hour miniseries, I guess it is now of Justice League. We'll see what that turns out to be. Uh, if it can be, you know, an improvement on the the movie, which again, I didn't hate, but a lot of people do. And then where they can go, you know, with all those characters, we've got the Batman filming, which is kind of a prequel to other stuff. I don't know. The, the DC universe is much more convoluted and I dare say shaped by negative fan reaction than the Marvel one was, which has been sort of universally loved and has carried on for 20 something movies now. The things that Marvel has that DC doesn't have is is the sense of camaraderie and family and teamwork. And, you know, D, you know, I don't know how DC can come up with that. I don't think they can, especially after they just visited the 80s with this movie. And um, there was no Superman. So for me, like I go back to Christopher Reeves and he is the only Superman in my mind. I'm sorry to Henry Cavill and any other person who is played that part he is the only superman and they did such a good job with harkening back to the 80s with this particular movie that i was waiting for superman to come in and help her out like i like wow. i was waiting for clark to show up at least in a cameo and we didn't get him at all <laughs> and, and in the dc cinematic universe it's fair to say though superman doesn't come around until the 2000s right uh, in the and, way that they've and, and reset I, the timeline which is kind of mm. neat it, it is kind of neat. I disagree with it. I think they dropped the ball on that, but that's fine. So we'll, we'll, we'll dissect this movie instead of going back to what I wish they had done. Indeed. So let's give a little plot summary. Spoilers hot. Obviously, if you haven't seen Wonder Woman 1984, you play in TIG, but want to stop the podcast now come back later otherwise we're going to tell you basically what happens in this movie and then we can get into the different pieces. Diana Prince lives her double life performing heroic acts as Wonder Woman while leading an anthropology unit at the Smithsonian Institute. There she befriends an intelligent yet awkward woman named Barbara and both bond over a seemingly worthless object inscribed with a Latin phrase claiming to grant wishes. Diana secretly wishes, of course, that Steve Trevor would come back to her. And when he does, inhabiting the soul of another man's body, she is taken aback, but also swept up in the pangs of love loss that has returned. This object turns out to be a magical dreamstone, though, created by a god of mischief, which not only grants wishes, but of course, they come with a great price. Essentially, what you wish for costs you the thing that means the most to you or is most important to you. The world is thrown into chaos when a scheming businessman named Maximilian Lord steals it 
And Lord wishes to become the very embodiment of the Dreamstone and becomes a powerful, successful kind of genie thing. Uh, and a lot of trouble uh, comes in the wake of madness as he fulfills wishes and then takes a power and power on. Diana realizes Steve came back through the stone's power, but it is also draining her power from her. Meanwhile, Barbara, who wished to become more like Diana, not realizing what all that means, loses her friendliness and her charm and grows physically powerful. Lord eventually uses his wishes to gain an audience with the president of the United States, from whom he gains the ability to use their satellite communication systems in order to grant wishes into the whole world, kind of like a televangelist, sort of. And when Diana tries to stop him, the powered-up barber defeats her in a fight and frees Max, vowing to destroy anyone who gets in his way. Steve convinces Diana to renounce her wish, the only way to undo the cost of the wish fulfillment, letting him go and returning her powers, along with the new ability to fly. Diana dons the armor of the legendary Amazon warrior Asteria and goes to confront Lord and Barbara as they broadcast their message from a secret military satellite base on an island somewhere. Barbara, who has now wished to become an apex predator, kind of like a cheetah, and Diana fight with Diana eventually winning, but not killing Barbara. Diana uses her lasso of truth to wrangle Max and to communicate with the world through him, convincing everyone to renounce their wishes and to set things back in order. With the world returned to its order in 1984, Diana goes back to her life, resolved to continue protecting it as credits roll. And in a mid-credits stinger, we learn that Asteria is living amongst us as well as Linda Carter saves a child from a falling beam or something and turns around and winks to the audience and then credits ultimately roll. And that's the sum total of Wonder Woman 1984. For a movie that's two and a half hours long, I will praise this film for keeping the plot very simple and not having too many twists and turns, too many people to follow. We really have Diana for a little bit, Steve, but Barbara and, and Maximilian Lord are the people we're going to spend time with in this universe. I think the benefit of the two and a half hours is that we have two movies when we watch this. We have an hour and 15 minute movie and then we have another hour and 15 minute movie. Um, it's it's like we take the old Superman and throw uh, throw Diana there and then we suddenly split off and we are met with like the Dark Knight or something. Um, <laughs> but it, it, <laughs> I, I called it, Irene, I called it we have Wonder Woman, the romantic drama, and then we have Wonder Woman 2. <laughs> the second half of it, it. it was it was really like watching like days of our lives or something and then going and watching um some other modern superhero television show <laughs> yeah and i i had to laugh because um our actress who plays barbara Kristen wig um i never would have pictured her in a part like this not after watching her in bridesmaids um, never would I have seen her in this type of serious role. And I've got to give her credit. She pulled it off. Um, she was great. Yeah. Can I tell you why I actually got bought it when I found out what the role was when they first announced her, I was like, sure. You know, I didn't think anything about it. And then when I saw what the role was throughout watching the movie, I was like, Kristen Wiig has made a career out of being the put upon friend that has prettier other people around her and she wishes uh -huh. she could be them. And there's always horrendous results when that happens. <laughs> and and she can play the comedy. She can kind of own the room. But when you doll her up, she can be very alluring as well. And uh, the physicality, whatever, it's all CGI anyway. Uh, so I I didn't care. I didn't think she needed to be Gal Gadot, you know, to be able to pull off all that that stuff because they didn't really ask her to do a whole ton of it. I don't think. I mean, more to just stand there and let your face be morphed on the little computer cheetah we're throwing around the screen. But I thought as a character, she was fun. And she's just playing the same thing she's played on Saturday Night Live for years. Yeah, you know, I mean, she, the, it, 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 is a, it is a character um, actress part. Um, she really does get sucked right into that. Um, and, and, you know, as an actor, I feel bad for her that she, she has the, the, this, this character type. But it, it really worked for this, especially when we watch her transformation from... The put upon, uh, I'm not going to say put upon, but can we call her a weak? Yeah, because I think that's fair. I was trying to be nice, but you're right. She she is a total she's, weakling. Yeah. She's she's a little weakling and and didn't have to be, but that was kind of where she settled. Um, but to go from this weak little nobody to somebody who is um, strong and, and commanding, 
it, it, it really was a good transformation for her, even though she didn't even really change the character much, but it was mm-hmm. the blocking and the actors around her that changed their approach to her. Yeah, I think the, the thing you, you figure out about Barbara and what I liked about it was she's still as smart as she was in the beginning after she becomes alluring, if you will, and becomes the attention getter that she always to wanted point. to be. So, to a point. Well, I, I think she, I mean, she still uses her brain to do stuff. She ultimately gives into the sin of, you know, you get what you ask for in the wish fulfillment. We can get into that later. But I, I appreciated the fact that she didn't need to wish to become smarter. She was already intelligent. She was already mm-hmm. smart. She was just, she was mousy. She was, you know, she'd been picked on her whole life. You could tell she'd been ignored. She talks about how, you know, people think I don't hear them talking behind my back, but like, hello, I'm right over here. I hear you all the time. You know, and like she knows she's the nerd as it were. And she does the, the eighties and really it's a nineties trope of take the glasses off the nerd girl and put her in some <laughs> tight clothes. And Oh my goodness, she's a model and all that stuff. I, I thought that was fine. What I'm more interested in is how Diana Prince is in 1984. She's a little more world weary. She's still doing good things, but she, you can tell she sits alone at a restaurant and you know, the, they have that whole bit where she's sitting there waiting to order. And the guy's like, are you waiting for anybody? And they pick up her stuff and she goes, when she goes to the big party, every guy in the room hits on her and she just blows them off because she's still missing Steve. I mean, she keeps his watch on her counter by a picture of him. I mean, that's something 70 years later, she's still not gotten over. Well, you know, and and you mentioned the party where she's turning heads and she's kind of blowing everybody off. She even blows off Steve because here he is in another man's body. Right. And, you know, them coming together is beautiful um, in, in, an, in an adorable, innocent kind of way. Um, I love the way that Chris Pine plays this part. And now if anybody doesn't know, Christopher Pine is my hall pass. He and Bruce Willis are my hall passes. And um, there's something about Christopher Pine that is just so easy. Um, He makes his act. His acting is effortless. You believe him. I haven't seen anything that I did not believe that he was that cowboy type. Maybe it's, you know, it's another typecasting because, you know, he was Captain Kirk. So, you know, we get that same kind of vibe from him. Um, Something that they changed in the interaction between Steve and Diana for this movie is her sense of humor and they've given her um, a little bit more youthful, uh, relaxed edge to her when it's just the two of them alone. Yeah, they they have a good time. And, and what's funny is Steve gets to be the fish out of water now because he's 1985 and they do a great camera trick. It's actually the guy who's credited as handsome man the whole time. But all she sees is Steve and him. So we get to see Chris Pine try on like 80s clothes and he puts on a thriller outfit, which that wouldn't have made any sense in 1984 because those weren't really available till after that. But whatever. <laughs> like we do, we do all that. He's got the fanny pack, which is a running joke <laughs> throughout the thing. And then he dresses up in all this ridiculous garb. And what I will credit this movie for is like, okay, here's all your 80s stuff that, you know, you need to know that this is 1980s. And now we're not going to beat you over the head with it anymore. And yeah. I, I really, really appreciated that because I felt like if this movie turns into The Wedding Singer, I'm going to get real mad because I that there's things about that that work. And there's parts of that that it's it's like doing greatest hits albums. It, they're out of time and out of place and they don't make sense. And I appreciated the humor of this, that Diana got to be the one on the other foot this time to sort of show him how the world works now and the whole bit with the airplanes and the space museum and, you know, what, how would that would have blown his mind uh, from, you know, 1915 till now. It's pretty cool. It was fun. And Chris Pine, I, I can take him or leave him, Irina. I'll be honest with you. I think he's great as Kirk. I think he was horrible as Jack Ryan. The one time they tried to do that with him. Um, but I've seen him in other stuff where I think he is good. And what's best about him in these two movies is he doesn't have to carry it. He's the side thing. And that is fun to watch. And to watch them, those two together, they clearly have a lot of fun with it. So it was fun. It was fun to see Steve back in there. And again, credit for using 80s iconography, but not beating us over the head with it. And for learning how to work the comedy and a reverse role of the stuff. Right, right, right. And, you know, I mean, he is a character actor. Let's let's not we won't gloss over that. That's what Chris Pine is. That's why I love him. Um 
I, I did feel, even though they utilized Steve coming back, mind you, the camera trick was perfect. And my husband kept looking at me. He was like, what's going on? I said, wait for it. <laughs> wait for it. Because I could see it coming because of my theater eye. I could see what was about to happen. And I was thrilled that it happened. Um, but the, the unfortunate thing here is Steve in this movie was, you didn't need him there to have a good movie. We could have done without it, and um, there could have been some other wish that Diana had. Maybe Diana wished to be an average person or something instead of being Wonder Woman. Maybe she wished that she didn't live forever, and we still could have had the Barbara Apex Predator storyline. That's why I said it's it's two separate movies. Well, what they're doing in the first part of this movie is the Richard Donner Superman 2 thing. Where Superman's one wish is to be with the love of his life. So he gives away the thing that means the most to him. The difference is, is in this movie, Diana doesn't realize it's going to cost her her powers. And it never really totally takes her powers away. We should say it just like dials them back from 10 to about six and a half, maybe six at some point. Um, but for Superman, you know, he gives up his power. He gets beat up in a roadside restaurant things go bad and what does he do he crawls back to the fortress of solitude and gets him back and you know saves the world he basically gives up lois to save the world and she's asked to do the same thing here i, I would say the other thing too that kind of surprised me not that it it doesn't make any sense because again i'm talking about a comic book movie that this guy would have any knowledge of modern avionics when they jump in an f-18 together to take off like he would have no idea what any of that was <laughs> that's not how the deck of that looks he doesn't he wouldn't know how to fly it i don't know if that's the right plane or not but whatever he wouldn't know how to do that like it, it's almost weird that like she needs a chauffeur because he drives the car at one point and all this i'm like why does a wonder woman need an escort i mean i know he's the love of her life so if i give it that conceit i go with it but if to uh, to acknowledge what you're saying and to say I agree with you too, if you take Steve out of this movie, you could have had something else and it just went in the same place. And I think you hit on it. What if she said, I just want to be a normal person and I don't want to have all of the the weight of having to be this superhero in disguise anymore? That would have worked too. That that because we should talk about the opening of this movie is a, like a I guess it's Amazonian Olympics or something. I don't know. Right. Maybe the Amazonian World Games, whatever. But Which was we, another movie by itself, too. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's almost like that's the teaser we would have stuck on another movie. Have we had any to release this year? Sorry, kids. Here it is. Yeah, I mean, that could have gone in the first <laughs> Wonder Woman movie, but you know. Right. So we got the same little girl back that's playing her again as as young Diana. And she, you know, she's going through this ridiculous competition with the other Amazonians, and she's the only little kid there. It would be like putting a nine-year-old up against all these grown athletes in the Olympics. Like, they can hang for maybe a little bit if they're super talented but probably not long it's almost like american ninja warrior really a little bit yeah it is a little bit of that she falls over a horse she takes a shortcut yada yada at the end she's getting ready to throw her spear through the final hoop because that's how you win and nope we get intervention like nope you can't cheat to win and i'm like here's the saturday morning cartoon lesson of the week for this movie is that there's no shortcut to fulfilling your true greatness and you can't cheat to win and self-sacrifice is really the greatest gift. And they're just kind of all mashed together. We get the self-sacrifice story later with Asteria and all that. But the lesson of this movie that echoes throughout the plot is that there's no shortcut to being on top. Mm -hmm. And that is a good transition into our villain of the film, if we want to call him that. <laughs> Pedro Pascal in a horrible wig. <laughs> um, chewing is up it a scenery. wig or a toupee? I can't tell. It's it, awful. It looks like I took my niece's hair and just flopped it over on my head. I, I don't know what he's got going on in that part Gordon Gecko part uh, whatever Matthew, whatever that guy's name is that's all about free money from the government and wears the Riddler suit televangelist, infomercial specialist, uh, Maximilian Lord, total con man is what he is. He's he's supposed to be a match of Gordon Gecko with Lex Luthor, but he's really neither. And and I like Pedro Pascal. I think in the right stuff, he's really good. My rule with him is always the less is more approach. And this movie, it's more is more. They shove him through this plot and he plays such a ham 
the whole time, I, I had a hard time really getting behind him as the yeah, villain it, of the movie. He he was trying to be Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor, and you know, it just didn't work. Um, and I'm going to actually go back to something that we were talking about um, when we were talking about the, the way that this story arc goes. In Diana losing her powers because Steve was there, I had a hard time determining whether she was losing her power because Steve was there or because Barbara was taking her power from her. So the entire the entire movie could have been completely different. But either way, yeah, we see this poor little girl. Oh, no, isn't it so sad that she didn't get to win? And my daughter's going, that's not fair. And I, I looked at her and I was like, it absolutely is because she missed hitting that one arrow. So her flag didn't go up or down or whatever way the banner was going. And, uh, you know, I, I loved the fact that she was stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked that even though we knew Diana could absolutely 100% take on all of these women, the the lesson again was, you know, there's no shortcuts, but also earning the, you know, that sense of self-worth. Whereas yeah. this, uh, the warrior who ends up winning these, um, the Olympic games, so to speak, she's fought for everybody. She has put her time in. Um, and, and I mean, it's, it's just like, you know, if you go to interview for a, a, a step up in your employment and then some kid who's been doing it for five years gets, you know, the job that that's, you know, you don't have the experience in that position, blah, 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 blah. But, um, I, I did appreciate showing that Diana was still growing. Um, but again, it's like th- there are three chapters to this movie. Yeah, and but that that first one though does lead us into the biggest problem that Max Lord has the whole time is he's trying to find a quick way to the top, and he's basically sort of bounced around and built Ponzi scheme after Ponzi scheme that have blown up in his face. His wife has left him. He you know has shared custody with his son, who he wants more than anything to you know fulfill all this you know greatness that I tell you I am son you know and he wants his son to be proud of him and in the end of it I mean the kid tells him the sweetest thing ever is like you don't have to try to be proud of you you're my dad yada yada which is again a little yeah. hammy but it the problem that I guess if there's a problem with it I have is this movie wants to have it both ways. They want to have this kind of super serious DC thing, which is, it's a much darker cinematic universe than the Marvel ones. And that's fine. That differentiates it. But it also wants to have the Saturday morning, 22 minute lesson of the week to put in. And I don't know that those totally work because what it means is that your villain here doesn't have any depth to it. You mentioned Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor. We had two movies to really get to, you know, watch him. And, and really that mm-hmm. first Superman movie, you get a lot of Lex Luthor to get what he's about. I didn't know who this dude was other than the goofy infomercial and the used car salesman act he was putting on. And I, you can tell you, you immediately like, oh, this guy's trouble. It's going to be a problem. And mm-hmm. and it, back to that cheesy thing Pedro Pascal is doing, it just doesn't entirely work. Well, I think one of the things that DC tries to do without fail through every storyline is they always have a male and a female working together as their villains. You know, Mm -hmm. even as far back as, you know, we go back to uh, Keaton's first Batman. We have the Joker and his girlfriend whose face he's ruined. Then, you know, we go to the next movie. We have the Penguin and Catwoman. uh, You know, we, we... they try to do this and it doesn't always work. I think this is a situation where it didn't work. We didn't need Max to become the genie out of the lamp because Barbara already had the stone. All of this, this whole story could have happened just between Barbara and Diana. And it would have been nice and short and sweet. It would have been a fabulous movie. We didn't need Steve. We didn't need Max. We didn't need anybody. We just had those two going head to head. And it would have been great. Not that I'm saying this movie is bad because we do get, we see the change in the characters and mostly Barbara. And, um, you know, Max is kind of, he's, he's just a tie-in. Um, I do like the father son lesson. I did not feel that he loved his son at all. I felt like that was completely missing. It was just another throwaway aspect to this. And can we please just touch on Asteria? Because I'll tell you what. If she has this damn armor from Asteria, where the hell was that in friggin' Justice League? And 
you know, where was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have the same question. I was like, well, she drops the wings at one point because they kind of get busted up or a little bit or whatever. I, but I'm like, that that might have been useful <laughs> the last time we saw you when it was more modern times. Right. But so let's let's whatever. get into this. Let's yeah. get into this. So the story of Asteria is that she's a great warrior and that everybody sacrificed all of their armor to make this one big armor, gold armor suit. What? Don't ask me. Um, to defeat all of their enemies and keep them safe. So it's still like she has this suit of armor. I don't know how it got here from, you know, the Amazonian world, because I don't remember when she goes back, but now it's here <laughs> and she's got it, you know, in her, is it in her apartment? Or it's in her, in her apartment, like in her little secret video layer where she's to got which, a bunch of VHS machines. Right, where she's already said that she has no TVs in her apartment, but then we see she's got 12. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> so she's just got it stored away there. And it, 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 it I don't feel like we had a, too, enough of a buildup or enough of a background story to where this came from. Yeah, um, there's the whole bit she drops about how we, you know, we all combined together to give her this armor so she could defeat the enemies. And what she realized was the way I can defeat them is to self-sacrifice and basically let them collapse on me. It blows them all up at the same time. And I give my life for y'all. So they've kept the armor as sort of a testament to the great sacrifice of her, which is completely undone in the stinger at the end. Like, no, she pretty much just what she gave up was I can't live here with y'all anymore. So that's cool. I'll go hang out in, you know, Southampton and and just walk around uh, looking beautiful and dashing for hundreds of years. I'll sure. tell you what, though. Now I want an Asteria movie. Like, more than anything, <laughs> I want an Asteria backstory. I don't know that Linda's up for that. but I don't think she is. Yeah. It would be wonderful. You know, in my heart of hearts, that's what I want. But I also want Michael Keaton to go back to playing Batman. So, you know. <laughs> it's, I mean, there, yeah, they talk about wish fulfillment. Be careful. <laughs> right? What you, what you get. Yeah, I want to get into what they set all of this together for. And you hit on something, Irene. I thought it was great. You could take out Max Lord and you could take Steve out of this movie. You can still leave the little watch and the picture on the mantle. And that it says all that you need to say. And you could have it be about these two women. You could have it be about Barbara going, I wish I was her. And when she realizes what that means, she's like, holy cow, give me more of that. And then she could become the Dreamstone embodiment. And that, that whole nine, you could do all of that with her and for Diana's uh, you know, thing to have been like, I wish I could be, you know, more like you. Like if they had said that to each other in in a thing, like you know, they had this whole back and forth where they go to lunch or whatever, and Barbara goes, like, I can't believe you don't have people following around you at all times. And she's like, No, I'd much rather just do, you know, my work, kind of like what you're all about. If they had done a flip on the body swap a movie of the 1980s, by the way, which was a, another trope, you could have had the same things go down. The whole thing, you could have Barbara doing the whole currying favor with all these world powers, all that stuff to get the message out, to give people, I'm going to give the little people what they want. And you see how it backfire on them and you do all of it the same way. And you still have a movie. You probably have a movie that's about 20 minutes shorter and you have two characters we didn't need again. And I, I like that rewrite. I really do. I think it makes a sleeker story and a much more interesting one because why you got to have these dudes doing all this stuff when you got these two really good female characters? Well, because they did not want to have Wonder Woman Winter Soldier. Because oh. if you take out Steve and you take out Max, you have the second Captain America movie. Wow. Good with, call. With like... Captain America has Agent Carter's picture. That is, you know, the reflection of the watch. And literally, you take it apart, you get rid of all of that, and you have almost the same type of story that you had in Winter Soldier. So, and I mean, that was just me listening to you go through this. I was like, oh, that's what this is. That's why we had to play with all of that. that so, so instead, we have to have Superman 2 and, <laughs> uh, you know, while you were sleeping and all this other stuff thrown in the air to make it work. I, I hear you. I think there's there's a I guess it's the problem you chase when you make these kind of movies is how do we not tell the same story? And the problem is, is that the formula is the formula kids like it it just is what it is it's uh, you want to go back to the 80s i love 80s hair metal no apologies whatsoever but i'm not going to sit here and tell you that a whole lot of it didn't sound like each other you could put on warrant and poison and trickster back to back to back and if i you know wasn't paying attention i couldn't tell you who was what because it all sounds the same at some point 
It all gets built the same way. It all got produced by the same guys. It all got written by the same people, even though who's their name on it, that doesn't really what happened. It, it becomes a formula. And, and we still a, love it. Yeah, we still like it because there's enough of a differentiation in it to make it work. But the formula is the formula. So in some ways, like they're they're chasing the impossible dream to just keep telling these stories without repeating that. Um, but I had never thought about the Winter Soldier connection, but you're right. I just laid out Captain America Winter Soldier, which is something we have to really like. By the way. <laughs> right. So um, you you literally get that, but you also then get, um, you know, you get an, another Batman movie with complete with Catwoman. You do, I, yeah, I, because I, Maximilian Lord is a whole lot like whatever Christopher Walken was doing as Max Shrek and Batman Returns. Like it's it's a lot of the same thing. The power hungry rich industrialist, you know, which is another Lex Luthor riff. Uh, you've gone wrong. And you also get the, but here's the thing about this one that I do think is different is Diana is not here to kill these people or destroy them, which is usually the thing in a superhero movie. You got to blow up the thing that is, you know, become evil or whatever. She's really just to set them back on their normal path. She eventually gets Barbara to recant her position. She gets Max to realize you should just worry about being a good father and not trying to be Donald Trump successful and maybe life would be better for you. You know, that's that's kind of what she she embodies in this. And while that seems almost reductive or simple, it works well enough. I just don't I, I don't know that I needed everything that happens to happen to get us to that end point. Does that make sense? No, yeah, it, it does make sense. We we didn't need all that to happen. And I mean, when it breaks down to it, I'm just going to say it. Wonder Woman, Captain America should get married and live forever and have, you know, a beautiful <laughs> well, life. Well, Captain together. America already ran off in an alternate timeline with Peggy, as we know. R- so. Right, which was, you know, that's a whole other thing. We have some great fight scenes here. Um, I do appreciate that. Well, but before Barbara becomes our apex predator, we have Wonder, uh, pardon me, we have Diana and Barbara with their fight simultaneously while uh, Steve is beating the crap out of Max, who he's handcuffed himself to. Crack me up. And, and mm-hmm. I'll never understand that, but that's fine. Um, so, uh, we, we have these simultaneous fights. And, and I love Chris Pine for his fighting is the goofiest thing in the entire world. And yep. I think it might even be... I, I've never seen a real brawl in person, but I think that might actually be what it is if you're trying to defend somebody. And because he's not angry, it's not angry fighting. It's just all right. We gotta get a kick his butt. So I so I appreciate all that. I wish to kind of bring this together. So the way that Max gets the stone is he basically seduces Barbara mm-hmm. and then steals it from her office. I wish we had had a little of that come back because it would have given us more humanity between Barbara and Max. Um, if we would, since they kept it all in the movie, they may as well have given us that one romantic villain kiss and, you know, moved on. They aren't a team like other DC couples are um, in, in, in this, in the sense of the DC couple. So, you know, we have these great fight scenes, even when Barbara turns into the apex predator and then we have the underwater fight. And I, I really want to know what your opinion is on how all of a sudden nothing else hurts anybody during this fight. But lightning does. All of a sudden we, we get Barbara electrocuted underwater um, as the apex predator. And Wonder Woman feels nothing. What's your thought on yeah, what, that? Yeah, wouldn't that metal have been conductive a little bit more than the cheetah in the water? I don't know. Like I... By the time we got to that end fight, I'll be honest with you, Irina, I was like, I know she's going to win. Let's just get it over with. And thankfully, they didn't stretch it out too long. The problem in some of these movies is that the fights just go on forever and ever, particularly the DC Universe movies like Man of Steel and Dawn of Justice. And all that just goes on way too long to to get to the end. So I'll give it credit for the brevity. It was fun enough of an answer to get to the point because again she she's basically trying to get barbara to recant her position she's reasoning with her and then she finally says she's sorry i thought is one woman about to kill this woman because that right. would be a new twist and when she doesn't i thought oh so basically you just electrocuted the kitty in the bathtub right. and then laid it on the counter and that she didn't even weird. end up with any fried fur like if i put no. one of my kids cats in the tub with an electrocutor my cat would be like poof I know, right? Like, it, everywhere. It, it was very, it was very strange. I, I also didn't, I didn't totally love how Barbara became the cheetah when she's doing the whole 
kind of punk rocker thing when they're fighting in the White House or whatever that was. Mm-hmm. It, it, I kind of bought that. I sort of liked them. Like, if that's what they do with the cheetah thing, I'm down because I think that would be cool. When she gets on the plane with Max, and we should say he like is falling apart. This whole oh, time yes. as wishes are granted and he takes stuff like his eyes are bleeding and all this other mess. And you kind of realize like he's basically turning into stone is the idea. And so he has to like steal people's organs magically to live. It's it's really ham fisted how they throw that in there. But it was there. He basically says to her like, oh, you made a wish, too. But well, don't you want a, another one? And my question was like, well, obviously she wished to become the, the cheetah. What did she give up? For that because she didn't have anything else left to give she gave up her friendliness which is kind of okay to be a more assertive woman that might be the wrong lesson to take from this yeah. see i saw it a little bit differently i did not take it that what was taken away from her or what she gave up was her friendliness i felt she gave away she gave away and gave up her intellect She's still a problem solver, but in a predatory um, sense. She still has that intelligence that came with Barbara. But what she loses is, and maybe we should say it's her heart. It's her empathy, right? Yep. She loses her heart. She loses judging right from wrong. And she gains this narcissistic approach rather than, um, you know, who she was, which was she would do anything for anybody. And she was this sweet, lovable character that was kind of a geek. When Diana recognizes that the resolution to the problem is to renounce her wish and she doesn't come to the conclusion on her own, Mm -hmm. Steve has to tell her. And we have this beautiful moment in the middle of a fight because basically the whole world is, you know, broken down because everybody's fighting with everybody. Um, Max is able to broadcast to the entire world uh, via satellite, you know, just make your wish and I'll make it come true. So everybody's wished for things. We've got this guy who wished for a farm and now he's got cows in the middle of the city. Um, and, And we have all these people who have wished for different things and, Steve and Barbara are realizing what's happened. And we have a beautiful romantic acting moment. It is the most intimate moment in the entire movie where we see Diana um, break down. And Gal Gadot and Christopher Pine opposite each other in this 30 or 45 second moment is absolutely beautiful um, in the realization of we have to say goodbye again. And all she can say is, I don't want to say goodbye. I'll say this about that. I agree with you. It's a beautiful moment. I wish it had taken a little bit more because he starts that conversation with her earlier. And she's like, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. And so when it comes back up, it makes sense. But I, I wish it had, it had lasted a little bit longer to give that more weight. Cause you're right. It is happening in the middle of the all hell breaking loose outside right and it it gets kind of thrown away they play with it a little bit when she starts lassoing lightning bolts which you've seen her do before it's kind of cool and Mm -hmm. she she catches onto an airplane so she can be in the sky and she realizes holy cow i can fly and it's like his voice in the background going like yeah flying's not that big a deal this is my super empathetic and romanticized look at everything is and just because i like to see things through that that scope in this moment she has she's given up steve again so wouldn't it be nice if she got something back it's kind of neat yeah but her place with steve and the love and keeping his idea and 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 who he is alive it is that ability to fly so that is Mm. part of steve that she's taken into herself and you know i mean if we go back to the comic books didn't wonder woman fly she like, had wasn't a jet. That a thing? She, I mean, she has an invisible oh. jet, which they play with here because they're trying to take off from the right, right, right. aviation museum or whatever. The cops are all after him, guards, whatever. She does this whole, my dad you know, taught me how to disappear stuff. I lost a coffee cup doing this once. And I'm like, that's funny. And then she you know, lays hands on the plane and it's, it's invisible, which they don't really play with anymore. I guess that was a callback to, hey, remember the invisible jet? Here's how that would work <laughs> if we were being serious about it. Because it was that was always the joke in the cartoon is like you would see this little woman flying around, you know, holding yeah. like this control stick and it didn't make any sense. Yeah. I, sure. I I love that at that moment <laughs> we're in the fourth of July. 
Yeah. And at the end of the movie, it's Christmas because it starts friggin' snowing. Right. Well, so there's some time really... passes the televangelism moment, and we'll, we'll get to it in a sec, but you're right. right. Yeah. I mean, but uh, overall, I had fun watching it. Uh, was it worth two and a half hours? Um, no, but Endgame wasn't worth almost four hours of my true, life true. either. Before we get to that, that thought, though, I do want to talk about how it goes down at the end because mm-hmm. we, as we talked about, Max gets to the secret base of telecommunications heaven or whatever. And I want to ask you what, what exactly is causing the whirlwind that is blowing around the studio in him? Cause it almost, almost feels like a little bit of Batman forever and the Riddler's, you know, brain sucker thing going on. 100%. And, and I was like, well, I don't, I don't understand why uh, everyone's wishes coming in at, you know, fast thought would cause a mighty wind to go down in the studio. It's a little odd. Yeah. You know what? I I have no answer. I I think one of the ways of showing turmoil in cinema is wind. Um, Wind is one of those things. We can't control it. We can't stop it. We can't hide from it. You know, you can put an umbrella up and hide from the rain. But if you have wind and you have an umbrella, you're going to get blown away. I guess so. It, yeah, it it just comes out of nowhere. Uh, but again, I, I don't mind it because I like the fact that Diana defeats him not by beating him down, but she lassos him around the leg and she tells, you know, because he's telling her, like, you can have your pilot back. All you got to do is just join my side and all this. And she she basically tells the world through him, folks, what you're doing is causing all of this madness. If you'll just say you want out, you can turn it all back. And and that was a neat trick. She tricked him into relinquishing the power by also showing him you had a really lousy childhood. You're now visiting that upon your son. Do you want that for him? Yeah, and that appeals know, to his humanity. It, my problem with the end of this movie is there is nowhere that he says, I renounce my wish. I hate what I've become. And I don't feel like the message was conveyed to, you know, everybody else who was listening to him to renounce their wish and have everything go back to normal. I mean, I, you, I did. you do get that montage, though, where people are saying like, oh, I, I wish that back. I, I, you know, reverse that. I take it back. They, they all do a take back. And I think at some point he says it. But I, but you're right. It it just gets flashed across in a montage rather than being something that has repercussions. I felt that the script writers could have given us a little bit more. I didn't feel like it was an acting problem or a cinematography problem. I felt it was right there in the script or um, in between the lines of the script. And it was never said. (laughs) To be fair, it's nowhere near as dumb as just have Superman fly backwards around the world a couple hundred times too. Twice, because he did that twice in the script. No, 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 no. I will take Superman flying backwards around the world and changing the Earth's rotation any day over this that did not have any clear, concise resolution. <laughs> and we, we do get, though, the tact on Coda. You're right. It's Christmas time. She's walking across. There's kids playing. You know, it's snowing. And the the man who's who Steve had inhabited basically walks out. They do kind of a meet cute bump into each other. And he's got on one of the ridiculous outfits Steve tried to go. And she's like, you know what? It works for you. It looks good. And he's like, Oh, thanks. You made my day. I'll see you. And she kind of grins. And I'm like, eh, now we've had the rom-com ending too. Well, we had the rom-com ending, but I, one of the things, because you know me and I always look at costuming and the way that it's done, because that's where my brain is at. The outfit that this man shows up wearing is the outfit that Diana picked for Steve. True. Fair enough. So all of a sudden we have this little flicker of steve and his memory still left in this body which unfortunately gives us a third movie if they want to go there i hope they don't i hope somebody listens to this podcast and says okay no we're not going to go there but um you know it makes you wonder okay is she going to find him again are they going to is this going to be like the the you know the you've got male bump into each other everywhere type of thing Mm. um and then they have a happy ending. Um, but I loved that moment. Um, I cried twice during this movie. Once when Steve, <laughs> when Steve and Diana said goodbye to each other and you hear him say, I love you. Okay. Three times when we see him the first time, when we see him, this, when she says goodbye to him. And then this moment where they gave us that little bit of resolution. And maybe there's this hope that Diana is going to find true love down the road. 
But we know she doesn't because she's not with anybody <laughs> in the newer movies. So maybe what she does and what she is resolved to to have is that I can love again if I want to, where she has just shut that off from herself for you know decades now. Maybe that's right. what the resolution was. I would like to know what happens to Barbara. She turns back into a semi-normal looking person. So she obviously recants her wish. Does she go back to work at the Smithsonian? Does Diana, for that matter? Does it matter? I guess not. I, You know, there are a lot of unresolved questions, and I guess that's what Wonder Woman 3 is for, if and when we ever get to that <laughs> point. Irina, we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for Wonder Woman 1984? Oh, for, so for this one, if you haven't seen the original Wonder Woman, watch this one first. I actually would watch this one first and then watch the first movie. Um, I feel like they're better viewed in that order. I feel like the depth of the characters is better viewed in that order because there's such a, a deep, there's more of that deep ending to the movie. And I think the progression would work better watching this one and then watching the original Wonder Woman. Um, I'd watch it. I probably will watch it several more times just to see what else I can find in it <laughs> because I like finding little details. I'm going to give it a medium popcorn with, um, you know, some cinnamon sugar on it because it was sweet. Um, and um, it, it's not medium popcorn. You know me giving a medium popcorn. That's like everybody else giving an extra large because I'm super stingy. Um, but yeah, Jay, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I thought for what it was trying to do, they did a good job of overall pulling together the movie. I think you and I've talked about things that could have been differently and you arrive at the same outcome. It would have been a lot shorter film and you don't make a $200 million movie and not have it be two hour, two hours plus these days. It's just how it's done. Mm -hmm. uh, all that said, I liked it. I didn't like it as much as the first one. I, it's not as fun to watch uh world weary wonder woman i guess i would say and mm -hmm. you can tell though she's come full circle because the way she portrays the character in donna justice and justice league and stuff she's sort of lived through all this stuff so maybe it unveils a little bit more of that for you other the first movie is more fun but i think first movies can be more fun because it's just introducing everything the villains in this are weak their, their motivation is incredibly cheesy uh but i'll give the movie points back again for not bathing in the 80s iconography to the point that it just becomes parody and becomes mm -hmm. an SNL skit or, or wedding singer-ish or something like that. Um, and there's a time and place for those, but I don't really think this movie was it. I thought Gal Gadot is good in it. Uh, I thought Chris Pine was fun in it. Pedro Pascal's not great <laughs> in it, and, but that's not entirely his fault. The character's terrible. Kristen Wiig always does the best with what she's given, and I thought she made the most of it. Uh, was fine. If we were in normal times and I was trying to tell people like, is this worth going to see in theaters or do you just need the HBO subscription or whatever? I'd be like, go see this in a theater. I think this would look awesome on a big screen. It'd probably be a lot of fun, but we don't live in those times. So if you're watching it at home, like we did good, I, I think it's definitely worth a rewatch. It's one I'll watch again at some point, uh, but I like the first one better. I'll say that. That said, I'm not going to completely give it the medium popcorn because more or less this movie did ex it, it did what it set out to do in terms of telling its story and hitting its beat from one to two to three. So for that and for the competent direction and all of that, I'll give it a large and it's a slight large. It'd be like the matinee large. Like you get it next day, but it's still <laughs> fresh enough. You like it. Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, I, I'll tell you one thing. We didn't even talk about it, Irina. The, the score in this is completely, totally invisible. Like, I didn't know this was Hans Zimmer until I looked it up. Like, you'd never know Ugh, that. No, I didn't know either. <laughs> I think that's one thing about the behind the scenes of this that I'm fascinated with is that the only thing back are the actors and the director. The The production team's different. The writers are different. The cinematographer's different. The editor's different. The composer's different. They just swatched out all the pieces but brought some of the other things in to see if it could work. And more or less, it works. So I'll give it a pass, give it a large, and, and we move on. It's not the greatest thing I've ever seen, but good grief, is it nice to see a new movie in 2020? Uh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm happy we got it. <laughs> Whatever. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm having nostalgia uh, for it to give, a, to give it such a pass. But it was a lot of fun to talk about it with you, as always. And it was fun to drop a little bonus you know, New Year's present for you here for post 
uh, Christmas time for our fans to open and enjoy it. We've had a real big year here on Filmstrip, and we've got another one coming up in 2021. So again, if you're wondering, where the heck is my year-end podcast you've been promising? That's coming later this week. You'll hear our review of New Year's Evil that Ron and I did with Anthony and Tom from Tis the Podcast, uh, which will be a lot of fun. And you can find all that stuff at filmstrippodcast.com. You go there, you're going to see our link tree, which will take you to all the places you can find our stuff. Our letterbox page where we have links to all the episodes. Our anchor site where you can find all of the distribution points for the podcast. Our Facebook page, our Twitter account, our Instagram, all of that available for you. Please follow us, leave a positive review, and help other people find the show. And we hope you have a wonderful year end and let's hope for 2021 and bright things to come so for irena i'm jay thank you for listening to filmstrip thank you for listening to filmstrip you can find more episodes on our website filmstrippodcast.com the filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by frozen lake 121 All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.